Good morning, folks. Glad you're here. Hey, why don't you grab your Bibles and uh, turn with me once again to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to finish the parables of the kingdom, mysteries of the kingdom this morning. So if you will turn once again to Matthew chapter 13. This morning, wrapping up, uh, starting in verse uh, 51, 51 and 52, a very short parable, the parable of the homeowner, as we wrap up Jesus' parables uh, of the kingdom. So Matthew 13, we'll be looking at two short verses, 51 and 52, before we shift gears into our uh, next sermon series starting next week, uh, Lord willing, weather permitting, right? So uh, Matthew 13, let's pray one more time, if you will, and uh, then we'll dive right into our sermon this morning. So would you uh, please pray with me? Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching and teaching of your word. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts that are willing and uh, hands and feet that are willing to obey you. I pray, Father, that we would delight in your word and you would teach us uh, through the teachings of your Son. And as you teach us, Father, I pray that you would also uh, reveal to us that we are not only teachers, but that we are uh, students, but we're teachers, and that we uh, have this great privilege and responsibility of taking this treasure, which is your very word, given to us and sharing it with others. We pray that we would be faithful in doing that and that you would bless our time this morning. We ask it in the name of your son, Jesus, and God's people said, Amen. Well, the story is told of a father and a small son, and they were taking a walk one day, and the boy uh, noticed the uh, electrical lines up above. And he said, Dad, how can electricity go through those wires? And the father looked, and he said, Son, I really don't know. I don't know much about electricity. Well, they kept walking, and a few blocks further on, the boy, well, he was full of questions that day. He said, Dad, um, where do lightning and thunder come from? And the father said, you know, I'm not quite sure. That's puzzled me too. And he continued to ask question after question, block after block. And the father, well, he really had no explanation, no answer for his son for any of it. And finally, they got close to their home. And uh, the young boy looked up at his dad and said, Dad, I really don't, I don't hope you, hope you mind me asking you all these tough questions. And the father said, not at all, son. How else are you going to learn? Well, this simple story teaches us that to be an effective teacher of others, that we need to have some level of understanding, some level of knowledge, of course, of the subject at hand. Today, we are going to end our time in the parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13 with the parable of the homeowner. The parable of the homeowner, which emphasizes the necessity of understanding the truth of the Word of God, as well as the responsibility of passing that truth to other people. So, two short verses. First of all, in verse 51, I want us to look at the prerequisite, the prerequisite of the parable in verse 51. And then in verse 52, we'll take a look at the parable itself, and then we'll apply the parable with three principles from the parable. So, let's begin in verse 51, if you have your Bibles open, with the prerequisite for this final parable. So let me set the scene uh, just uh, so we can remember what's been going on, right? In chapter 13, Jesus has begun to share a series of eight parables, right? Four of the parables were public parables, right? He shared these parables with uh, the the crowds at large. We learn about mid-chapter that Jesus enters into the house there at Capernaum with his disciples, and there he shares four private 
parables with his disciples. Now, the disciples get explanations for two of those parables. So on the heels of seven parables, four of which had been uh, private, three at that point had been public, after receiving this, this revelation, these parables, Jesus asks both them and us a very important question, a very simple question in verse 51. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. The word here translated understood. Have you, have you understood these things? Jesus asks them. Uh, simply means to bring something together or, or to put uh, pieces, like as in a puzzle, to bring them together so that you understand the full picture. Jesus asks them, are, are you putting these truths together in your mind? Do you understand these things? Have you, have you rightly put them together? In other words, he's asking, have you comprehended? Do you understand these kingdom truths in the parables that I've presented to you? Do you understand them? Have you, have you right, rightly put them together? In other words, it's as if he was asking them, do you, do you understand that, that the kingdom message during this church age, will, well, it will, it will be scattered like seed and there will be different responses to that message? Friends, have you, have you understood that, that those who reject that message will suffer everlasting punishment, but those who believe it will experience eternal glory. It's as if he was asking them, uh, do you understand that, that the coming form of this kingdom, well, it'll have both good and evil in it for a time period. Do you understand that it'll be like a mustard seed? It will, it will start off very small and humble, and yet it will grow to be large. And it'll be like, well, it'll, it'll be like leaven. It'll be transformative to those that are in the kingdom. He's, he says, do you recognize the great value of this kingdom and the cost required to participate in it? It's a simple question, right? It's a very simple question. It's a bit of a loaded question. Have you understood these parables and the truths behind the parables that I've just laid out for you? Well, how do you think the disciples are going to respond to that question? Have you understood these things? Jesus asks them. Well, we continue and we see the response at the tail end of verse 51. And what is their answer? Yes, right? Yes, they replied. I've, I've often found that to be a bit humorous. Uh, here's how I sort of liken their, their yes. Um, it happens on occasion when Shelly and I are, are getting ready for bed. The kids are in bed and we're sort of having a, a conversation about the day, right? How was your day? What's, what's going on? And, and, and we sort of get into um, accounting talk. And I say, Shelly, tell me about your day and the things that have happened. And, and, she, and she sort of tells me about the ins and the outs of accounting. And she's telling me about what happened. And, and it's sort of like maybe at the end of that conversation, she might ask me this question. Does that make sense? Have you understood what I'm telling you? What am I going to say to that? I'm going to say, like the disciples, yes, yes, I understood that. What do I mean when I say that? Well, I understand it to some degree, right? It wasn't all completely over my head. I understood some of the concepts and, and some of the terms. But friends, did I understand it completely? No, I did not, right? Do I get every single thing that she's saying? No, because I'm not as smart as she is, right? I don't get that. Um, some of it stuck and some of it was over my head. I think that's sort of what the disciples mean here, right? Jesus is asking them, do you understand these parables that I'm teaching you? 
Yes, right? And certainly they understood some of it. I think they understood what they could understand at that time. But certainly they didn't understand it comprehensively. Certainly they didn't understand it exhaustively. And yet I find it very interesting because they say, yes, we have understood what you have been teaching us. And Jesus apparently took their response as genuine. Otherwise, he would not have given them this final parable in in verse 52. Notice how Jesus responds to them saying, yes, we have understood these things, starting in verse 52. He said to them, therefore, I want to point that out, right? It's connecting their response, yes, we've understood these things, with the final parable that Jesus is about to share. Have you understood these things? Yes. Therefore, because you have claimed to understand this, and because you do to some degree, therefore, every teacher of the law, your translation may say scribe, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house. Head of a house, your translation may say. Is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. And so Jesus concludes, he gives us an eighth and final parable. In verse 51, we saw that truth must be discerned, right? Jesus, it's important to Jesus. I've taught you some things, my my followers. I've taught you some things, my disciples. Have you understood them, at least in part? Yes, truth must be discerned. But now in this final parable in verse 52, it's like Jesus is saying that truth must be dispensed. It's not only to be discerned, but it is to be dispensed. Now we should notice something about this parable right off the bat. It is um, very different from the previous seven parables. See, the previous seven parables mostly begin with a simile. Remember English back in third or fourth grade? A simile, right? Jesus began most of the other parables by saying something like this. The kingdom of heaven is like. Remember that? The kingdom of heaven is like. And he, and he goes on and he applies it. But this parable, it doesn't begin that way, does it? Notice verse 52. He said, therefore, therefore. And he, he, he jumps right into it. In other words, this is a clue that this eighth parable is different than the the ones that have come before. It is an applicational parable for those who have understood the first seven. Let me say that again. This is an applicational parable for those who have understood the first seven. It's not describing so much the kingdom of heaven itself. It's describing those who have been instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven. And so it begins with, a, uh, once again, a very familiar image to a first century Jew. He says, therefore, every scribe, your translation might say, therefore, because you've understood these things, every teacher of the law, some translations say, every scribe, every teacher of the law. So we have to pause and say, well, what is a scribe? What is it? Who are these teachers of the law? Well, uh, very simply put, teachers of the law, scribes in Jesus' day, were people who were learned 
and they interpreted the Old Testament. They read it and they learned about it. And then they had the responsibility to teach it to other people, right? So a scribe, very simply, was a person who learned the Bible and who taught other people the Bible, right? He was a learner and a teacher. So Jesus says, okay, therefore, you said you've understood this, therefore every scribe, every teacher, but then we learn something specific about this particular scribe. It's not just a scribe, it's not any old scribe, right? He says, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a what? What does it say, church? A disciple, right? Every scribe who has become a disciple in the kingdom of of heaven. In other words, Jesus is describing a, a scribe, a teacher of the law, who is, well, is, is a Christian, if you will, to use our language. He has become a learner. The word disciple simply means to learn. He is a, he is a learner. And what's the subject matter? What, what has this scribe been taught? Truths about the kingdom of heaven, right? Truths about the kingdom of heaven, like we've just seen in the seven previous parable. So here's the real question. Who is Jesus describing here? Who is this teacher of the law who is the, who has been a learner about the kingdom of heaven? Who is this scribe who has become a, a disciple and has learned about the kingdom of heaven? Well, I think the context makes the answer to that question very clear. Let me answer the question with a question. Who in the immediate context were in a private home and had been giving, given private parables about the kingdom of heaven by Jesus personally. What's the answer, church? The disciples, right? These 12 disciples who were right there, right? The answer is the disciples. And that is who Jesus is addressing here. He is likening a follower of his, a disciple of his, to a scribe, to a teacher. In fact, John MacArthur explains it well when he says, under Jesus' instruction... Each of the twelve was becoming a genuinely learned scribe. It's like Jesus was saying, just like the Jews do with their scribes, you disciples of mine, I have discipled you. I've made you into a, a biblical scholar and a teacher by teaching you the truths about the kingdom of heaven. So next we see Jesus, not only does he liken his disciples to a scribe, but he actually likens them, well, to a, a very familiar picture of the first century again, right? Who does Jesus liken these disciple scribes to? Well, let's keep reading, right? Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like. So here's the, here's the, here's the image, right? Here's the parallel. Is like the owner of a house. The owner of of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. See, in that patriarchal culture, a father was considered, well, the New American Standard says, the, the head of the house, the head of the household, the, the owner of the house. And, and, and the father was well responsible for the welfare of the entire household. Part of his duties was well, to keep ample supplies of food and clothing and other supplies that the family members might need. And, and guess where those supplies were kept? In a storeroom, sort of akin to maybe a pantry or a supply room. And so when food, well, when there was food that was uneaten, there were leftovers. Or maybe there were clothes that were hand-me-downs, right? We're familiar with that concept. Child A can wear it, but guess what? Child C can wear it as well. And so what do you do with the, with the, the clothes after child A wears it? 
Well, you store it away, right? Because it can be reused. And so those things would be returned to the storehouse for, for, for further use. In other words, at any given time, a storehouse would have both old supplies, and then when those supplies ran out, what would you do? You go buy new stuff, right? New supplies, right? And so Jesus likens his disciples to both a scribe and the head of a household who has this storeroom of treasure, treasures both new, newly purchased, as well as old. So here's maybe a, an illustration that can help us understand this. Um, so my wife is very good about not letting things go to waste in our, our household, um, in particular, food. In fact, it drives her crazy when food has to be thrown away, right? So the rule of the house generally is use the old stuff what? First, right? Use the old stuff first, be it milk or vegetables or whatever. Now, there is a time when you get the new out. And when is that time? When the old is gone, right? When the old is gone, then you open the new. But don't you dare open that bag of chips if we have a bag of chips that, well, they're already open, right? This is sort of how the head of the household in that culture would would work. Treasures new and treasures old. And Jesus says that his disciples both then and now are like that. It's, a, it's as if he's saying, this is what you are like, disciple of mine. Now that I have and will continue to teach you, you have a storehouse of treasure to dispense and to share. So here's the question. What is the treasure that a disciple of Jesus has? What is that treasure? It has to be in the context, the truths the, the, the knowledge of the, of the kingdom of God that Jesus had been teaching both them and us today. I think that is the new treasure, right? Jesus had just taught them new truths about the kingdom, had he not? That is the new treasure that they were to teach. But they had old treasure as well. Did those disciples of Jesus, did they have knowledge about God already? Yeah, they did. Uh, did they have a, a particular set of writings that they would call scripture that revealed to them God and his truth? Yes or no? Yeah, they did. It's like that part of the Bible, right? They had old truths, and now they were learning new truths. They had old treasure, and now they were receiving new treasure. I think this parable, in a sense, is an anticipation of the new revelation that Jesus even later would give them through the Holy Spirit, which would be recorded and preserved for us in our New Testament. So here Jesus is saying that they are like an owner of the house. They are like a scribe. They were to dispense old truth and new truth, notice, out of their storeroom, which often in the Old Testament symbolizes a person's heart, what they treasure. Dr. Thomas Constable, I think, sums up this parable very nicely when he says this. Speaking of the disciples, they had just said they understood what Jesus had taught them. Therefore, they had a responsibility to teach others what they now understood. Every disciple must become a scribe, a teacher of the law. Because he or she understands things that require communicating to others. And so we've seen the prerequisite of this parable. Guys, have you understood what I'm teaching you? Yes. 
Okay, now I'm going to give you one final parable. Since you've understood these truths, what are you supposed to be like? What is your job as a disciple now that you have been instructed in the Word of God? Well, you're supposed to be like a scribe. You learn and you teach. You're supposed to be like a household owner. You've got this great treasure, new and old, and you are to dispense that treasure. Well, let's close our time with three principles that I think are pretty clear from this short and final parable. The first principle is simply this. Disciples of Jesus are to do what? They are to teach other people. Friends, this has to be the overarching point. This has to be the overarching principle of this parable, that those who are Christians, those of us who are born again, Those of us who follow Jesus, we are to receive God's word. We are to learn about God's word. But it's not supposed to stop there, is it? No, we are to receive and we are to give. Years ago, there was a much celebrated violinist. And after an international career on stage, let's see if I can get his name right, Yaka Heifetz. We'll just say Heifetz because I can say that. The world-famous Heifetz became a professor. And so he moved away from the stage and he moved to the University of California in L.A. Sounds like that'd be nice to be there right now in Southern California, right? To become a professor. And so when someone asked him why he decided to make that move, why did you move from the stage performing to become a teacher? This was his answer, and I quote, Violin playing is a perishable art. It is a perishable art. It must be passed on, otherwise it is lost. I think that's an interesting quote. Now, I'm not sure Christianity is a perishable art per se, but this much of his quote is true. Christianity and the truths of the scriptures are meant to be passed on. They are meant to be shared. Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are called, you are likened to a scribe. We are to be people who are learning from Jesus. We are to be people who are learning truth, right? Yes, we are to be learners, and we learn in in tons of different ways. We learn from reading the scriptures. We learn from listening to the scriptures. We learn when we're gathered here corporately from gifted teachers. We learn when we're in a Bible study or in a Sunday school class, right? There's lots of ways that we are to be learners of God's truth. We need to be fed, right? We come to church, we go to Bible study, we read our scriptures because the Christian needs to be fed. That is absolutely true. But let me ask you that. Is that the end of the truth? No. We need to be fed and we need to be feeding ourselves with one hand, if you will. But what are we supposed to be doing with the other hand? If the spoon is going into our mouth on, uh, with this hand, we're receiving God's truth, what are we supposed to be doing with this hand in its spoon? Feeding other people, right? And so we receive and we feed. Significantly, the verb here in verse 52, uh, the, the owner of the household brings out, brings out his treasure. Literally, it, it refers to like flinging out seed. Tossing something out liberally. Like, you don't really care where it goes. You're just flinging it out to scatter abroad. In other words, Jesus is telling us, his disciples, you have this incredible treasure of the word of God. You have this incredible treasure. Now, what are you supposed to do with it? Don't don't cling to it. Don't hold it to yourself. Fling it out liberally, right? You've got this treasure. Now, share it. 
I want to share with you one passage from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, verse verse 12. The author of Hebrews is writing to a group of Jewish Christians. And uh, they were considering uh, leaving the faith. They were considering going back to Judaism and uh, reneging on their faith in Christ, rejecting Christ. And and there's lots to be said in the book of Hebrews. But in chapter 5, verse 12, the author, he makes a, it's a mild rebuke. He speaks to those who have been Christians for some length of time, some length of time, and he says this. He says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be what? What does he say? Teachers. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God, God's word, all over again. Friends, um, if I put it this way, these are Billy Madison Christians familiar with the movie. They were older in the faith, but they had to go back to elementary school, right? They needed to to learn the spiritual truths all over again. And the implication here is that after some time, after we've been a Christian for some time, sure, we grow. We start out as as babes in Christ, Paul says. But but what, what happens to a healthy baby? They grow, right? And they start to talk and they start to walk, right? Friends, the simple point is that after some time to mature, every Christian should be a teacher of the Word of God in some way, shape, or form. So here's the question that we need to ponder as we think about applying this truth to our life. Who is it that you are teaching? That's the question I want us to ponder. If you are a Christian this morning, who is it that you are teaching? Who are you being ascribed to, if you will? Who are you being a, a household owner to? Who are you bringing out your treasures to? Now, friends, we often think that this has to be formal. In other words, well, pastor, you're a teacher because you're up on the stage. And the Sunday school teacher, because they have a platform, they're the teachers and the Bible study leaders. And that is true. Um, that is true. But, friends, teaching... Uh, is so much more than uh, formal education, right? This can be formal or it can be informal. Friends, we're called to be teachers in a Sunday school room, and we're called to be teachers in our kids' bedroom. We're called to be teachers from a podium, and we're supposed to be teachers um, in a fishing pond with our friend or our neighbor or our coworker. We're, we can teach in a sermon, or we can teach as women are gathered with a cup of coffee in a sunroom. Right? We are called to be lifelong learners and teachers. So friends, let me leave you with this thought as we move on to point number two. Who are you teaching? You're supposed to be a scribe. Number two, disciples of Jesus are to teach both new and old truths. One of the things that's worth really lingering on here for a moment, is that Jesus taught his disciples to teach both old truths and new truths. In a very simple applicational terms, Jesus' disciples are to teach both Old Testament and New Testaments, the entire Word of God. Both are inspired. Both are authoritative for faith. That is what we believe and practice. That is how we are supposed to live. Now, certainly, there are um, challenges there. There's a, there's a covenant change that happens, right? Uh, the Old Testament is slightly different than the New Testament, right? Uh, God's covenant with the people of Israel is different than his covenant with the church. And by the way, we'll be exploring that in the weeks ahead as we move through the winter here and the weeks to come. However, those things aside, Christians from the very beginning, Christians from the very beginning have held that both the Old Testament and the New Testament are God's authoritative word. 
Friends, this is unfortunately being challenged in our day. Like so many fundamental teachings of the Bible and historical beliefs of the Christian church, even by those, dare I say, in the evangelical camp. There is a a book that is sitting on my desk that I have yet to read, that I plan to read, that challenges this very notion. This notion that the Old Testament is for the Christian just as much as the New Testament is for the Christian, albeit in different ways. This is not a, a new thought, though. All the way back in the second century, many, many years ago, there was a man by the name of Marcion. There was a man by the name of Marcion, and he taught that the God of the Old Testament was somehow not the same God as revealed in the New Testament. And therefore, since there are two different gods in the Old and the New Testament, what shall we do with the Old Testament God? Well, let's dismiss him. Let's throw it away. And literally, he taught that the Old Testament should be thrown in the garbage can in much of the New Testament as well because he didn't like what it had to say. Literally, he took a scissors to the, to the scriptures. Now, my hope and prayer is that none of you believe what Marcion did or even have sympathetic ears for more recent versions of this old heresy. But friends, let me, just, let me just press into us here a little bit. My guess is that none of us here are Marcionites. I hope that's not the case. But do we value one testament over the other in experience? Do we read one more than we read the other? Do we study one more than we study the other? Do we subconsciously even think that one is more useful for the Christian life? That one is more practical for the Christian life than the others? Are we functional Marcionites, if you will? I must admit at times that I've fallen into this camp. Surely you likely have too. It's sort of natural for us to do this when we live on that side of the cross and and under a a different covenant. Sure, we gravitate there, but friends, we must fight that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 is a key text. Many of you maybe even have it memorized. Paul writes, how much of the scriptures God breathed? What does it say? All. Okay, all scriptures God breathed. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly what? Equipped for every good work. So Paul is essentially saying that the scripture is useful and practical for the Christian to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness. But friends, here's, here's a bit of a bombshell. Paul is referring to the Old Testament. The word scripture here is graphe. It is uh, almost always a technical term for the Old Testament. At this point, the New Testament was being written, right? It was being written. And so this, this is what Paul is saying. The Old Testament is useful for the Christian for teaching. The Old Testament is useful for the Christian for rebuking and for training and for teaching and for equipping. So here's, here's just a simple way to test this out. If you have a Bible that you use regularly, at some point, probably not right now, uh, pick it up and look at it like this, right? Which gets the most wear? Which is dirtier from fingerprints and stuff, right? If it's in this section, which is in the New Testament, it might be an indication that, well, we don't really believe what Paul is saying. We really don't believe that the Old Testament is useful for the Christian life, albeit in different ways. One of the things that I want to do here, and this is sort of from a a pastor to a congregation, it's important for me to tell you that this is something that I consciously think about. 
that, that in my ministry here, and we're going on 12 years, shall we? 12 years here, that I have been conscious to teach the entire counsel of God, both Old and New Testament. When we, were, when we were little tykes, at least when I was a little tyke, and we were learning about nutrition in school, they always said it's important that you eat a what? Thank you. A balanced diet, right? And so, um, four food groups, right? It's important that we eat candy, candy cane, candy corns, and syrup. No, that's from Elf. Uh, right, the other four food groups, right? It's a joke. The other four food groups, right? Balanced diet, get a, get a bunch of all of that. I have tried to feed you a balanced spiritual diet. And so I actually looked. I wanted to know. I looked through all my sermon series. I have them categorized in my computer, and I, I have them titled. And I wanted to know, how many sermon series did I, did I do in the Old Testament? And how many sermon series have I done in the New Testament? I just wanted to know for my own sake, and I'm sharing with it now. And so I looked at it, and though it's not a perfect tally, there might be some wiggle room. But, but here's the final number. Uh, Fifteen sermon series in the Old Testament, and are you ready? You want to know how many in the New Testament? Sixteen. 16. I was happy. I was like, yeah, great. I'm not, I'm, I'm doing what I'm trying to do, right? I was pleased with that. But friends, that's, that's what we should be in our personal reading as well. Okay, point number three, and we'll close with this. You can't share what you don't have, right? You can't share what you don't have. This parable begins with one who is a disciple, A disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a scribe. A disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a householder. The whole point of the parable which is, is that the disciples are to share and instruct others based upon the fact that they are followers of Jesus. Right? We must share from our own storeroom, our own experience and understanding of God saving us and changing us through the gospel in the truths that he's teaching us. So, so, friends, what that means is if we're not a Christian, in a sense, our storeroom is, well, it's empty, right? We can't share what we don't have. Dr. D.A. Carson writes on this point, discipleship to Jesus, recognition of the revelation he is and brings, and submission to the reign he inaugurates are necessary prerequisites, must come first, to understanding and bringing out from oneself the rich treasures of the kingdom. He's simply saying, you can't share what you don't have. Right? To use Jesus' words, if you don't have any treasures in your storeroom, you can't bring it out to other people. I'll close with this story. There was a, a day not too, long, not too far in the past when one of my daughters said, Dad, I want a snack. And I said, okay, let's see what we have. And so I looked in the fridge and in the snack room, and I said something like, we have apples, and we have grapes, and we have chips, and we have yogurt. What would you like? And this daughter looked at me, and she said, I want strawberries. And I said, we don't have strawberries. You can have grapes, and you can have yogurt, and you can have chips. And I went through the, and she looked at me, and what do you think she said? I want strawberries. I can't give you what I don't have. Friends, the same is true spiritually. We can't give what we don't have. So I need to humbly ask you, friends, are you a disciple of Jesus today? Have you placed your faith in Jesus alone? Have you personally come to the point where you have recognized the weight of your sin and guilt and your rebellion against a holy God? Have you come to repent of sin and trust in self? And have you trusted completely in what Christ has done for you? He lived a perfect life because you could not. He died a death that you deserved on the cross, taking God's wrath for you. And he rose again. 
And he's seated at the right hand of heaven so that you could be with him in heaven one day if you trust in him. Friends, have you trusted in Jesus personally? Have you begun the life of discipleship, submitting your life to him, your will to him, your decisions to him, seeking to kill sin before it kills you? A life of hungering after the word of God, seeking out truth, living it, advancing, uh, living for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. This is what a disciple is and does. And so friends, have you made that decision? If you have not, that is where the, the Christian life begins. That's where it all begins at the foot of the cross. You can't share what you don't have. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for these eight parables that we've enjoyed for the past several weeks. And I pray, Father, that you would impress upon our hearts these truths about the kingdom age, uh, this church age that we now live in. And I pray that you would not only help us to understand, but that you would help us to obey and that you would help us to be a scribe and a teacher to others. We ask it in the name of Jesus and God's people said, Amen. See you next week, guys. Thanks.